there is a bone in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bone in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged and think my words in fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of shale entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the worlds were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent them on high. He took me, he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God for all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure, and with the crooked, 
you make yourself seem tortuous. For you, save the humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you, I can run against a troop, and my God, I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them, and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through, so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Psalm 18 in the English Standard Version. Well, hello, and welcome to the Balm in Gilead podcast. After that extraordinarily long psalm, uh, the longest we've had yet. I have some exciting news, Brian. You do? Yes. You Say has been dethroned out of place number one on the Billboard Hot Christian chart. Interesting. I know. It's strange, right? She's now number two. Uh, any any guesses as to who our new number one is? Is it Waymaker? <laughs> yes, it's the Worshicken version. The Worshicken version of Waymaker. Uh, no, uh, it's actually presidential candidate Kanye West. Ooh. Featuring Travis Scott. Okay. So uh, with the song, Wash Us in the Blood. Have you heard this song? I haven't. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, I know. Me too. That's exactly my thoughts as well. But I figured that was kind of a, uh, uh, a big news in yeah. you know, the Christian music market. It's not nearly as big news as the whole fact that Kanye is running for president. Oh, right. I forgot about that. 
Well, you did say presidential candidate Kanye. I did. I did. I did. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so I thought that would be um, uh, pretty interesting for you. Yeah. But uh, you say did spend 93 weeks at uh, number one. Doesn't mean it won't go back. That's true. That's true. And has been on the chart for 104 weeks. So yeah. we will see uh, as the Billboard 100 continues to, um, you know, morph and change and all that. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so I have some more exciting news for you. Okay. We put up the Is It Worship 10 question survey on, or not survey, but, you know, 10 yeah. questions to work through when figuring out, discerning, is this worship or not, nah, uh, on our website at balmcast.com. Uh, have yeah. you been out there? I, I, I have, yes. Um, yeah, and so this the, the 10 questions, it's the same, you know, my seven categories, you know, law and gospel, scripture, all the questions that come up on that. That's, that's what we're talking about. And, um, it's, it's had a little bit of revision over the last month. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, uh, in a little bit as well. But yeah, we, we went ahead and posted that on the website. Uh, we, the, our website has some new features as well. Uh, I'm not announcing this to you, uh, uh, I'm not announcing this to you, Grant, as you're the one who it up there but um yeah you can now we're on multiple different podcatchers and uh yeah some other cool fun bells and whistles basically what brian's delicately trying to say is when grant set this up it was kind of like as quickly as possible and now grant has gone back and done things like you know ensured that the site is secure, have the security certificate yeah. in place, uh, just a lot of cleanup type stuff. And eventually I'll work around to getting us a little bit more custom look, but man, <laughs> you don't like, the, uh, had, you don't like the, the black text on white background. I mean, it's fine and everything, <laughs> but we don't even have like our little hymn book with the, uh, with our logo on it anything. and stuff like that. But, yeah. That, yeah, the website started as literally a place to post our files so that iTunes could catch it. Exactly. And that was all we had. And then somebody, I don't remember who, had this great idea to start writing satire and post it on the website. And I'm sure it was a great idea. I'm sure it was. And uh, which we've had a few more uh, up there. Um, I need to come up yeah, with some more. Yeah, we're up to more. three. We're up to three. And so I've been putting them up every other week. And so... Uh, I might throw one together tomorrow or Monday. I might not. Uh, so we'll, we'll I try to post, you know, a couple of those a month as well. And so we want I'll to try and write something too. Yeah, I, I, feel I just free. need a good idea. And, and, and listener, if you have a good idea, send it to us through our email at there is at bombcast.com or mail it directly to grant at his address. Um, <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> well, which you can find by joining us on Slack at techreformation.com. Uh, their, their Slack channel is slack.techreformation.com. You can drop your email address there. A bot will automatically email you and uh, get you in. So we'd love to have you discuss theology, uh, music, the flogging co- pa- podcast and actually also tech 
as well. So uh, with Apple's recent WWDC, there's no shortage of things to talk about there. Uh, but we would really f- love for you to join the Balm in Gilead channel where mm-hmm. we can discuss uh, worship music, uh, what you think of the show, uh, as well as any ideas that you have or feedback that you have for us. And speaking of feedback, I believe we have a little bit of follow-up. We do. Uh, when I was editing last uh, episode, uh, Grant had this time where he, he asked me a, a question. He said, I've got two things. One, uh, here's this question. You, you, you mentioned classic Grant move, classic by the way. Grant like, move. I have one idea in my head and I'm like, I'm sure I have another one. Yeah. And sure enough, and so one you, pops in. Yeah. So you had this question and then you followed it up with this other kind of statement, at which point we, uh, we, we just went running with the statement and then completely, we found the latter more interesting. We found the latter more interesting, completely forgot about the question and I managed not to answer it. What was that question, Grant? You know, it had something to do with, uh, we were talking about the Psalms, I thought, and mm-hmm. then, you had, you had mentioned something like 150 psalms is is enough, and I'm I'm realizing as we were were doing the follow up, I could have sworn I heard that 150 psalms is not enough, and <laughs> um, so that's just a little bit of feedback on the feedback uh, yeah. there. But 150 songs is is enough, and I just wanted you to unpack that a little bit. Yeah, and so. Um, what happened was I was talking about, you know, we have a, a hymn book in the very middle of our Bible. There's 150 songs. And uh, we as a, you know, universal church have added quite a bit to that, which is the entire reason why we have this podcast. So I made the statement saying that 150 songs is enough. So why would we write more? Um, that was just kind of an argument. And by enough, uh, I, I want to first, I want to clarify what I don't mean by, by this. Um, the exclusive psalmody belief is that the 150 psalms that we have um, are not only enough, but also sufficient. That they are a sufficient hymn book, that that's all we need to sing, and we can, um, we can express any emotion, any theological statement, any belief um, that is right uh, through singing just the Psalms, to which point I, I don't disagree with, with that statement. Um, they have good reason to believe that. Uh, but that's not what I meant when I said 150 songs is enough. What I meant, and this is probably a little bit of a letdown since we've built this up so much, is that uh, if there is any church that was doing 150 songs well, that would be way more than enough songs for that church to be able to do. Um, meaning like if your church is only doing, you know, six songs a week, then it would take them many, many, many weeks to get through 150 songs. Uh, and so if your church is singing that many songs, then they are probably not memorizing all of them. They're probably, just kind of vaguely aware of it, you know, when it comes time to sing it again, it might be six months later, at which point they may not have even, like, what if you missed a week? Then all of the (laughs) songs that you sang that week, you're not going to hear again for like a year. So 150 songs is more than enough for any one church to have in their repertoire, is what it meant. 
And so if we have a list of 150 songs that we can choose from, then that's more than enough songs to choose from. So why would we want to sing more? You know, the answer to that is, you know, God puts creative desire into people's hearts. He puts the ability for people to, um, he puts the ability for people to write music. And, uh, you know, one of the beauties of new songs is that there are new metaphors or there are new ways of phrasing the, uh, you know, same idea that everyone always has. And when you mm-hmm. hear that metaphor for the first time, and it really lands. There's something special about that. And that's why new songs get written in the first place. We don't like the whole musical industry is based on the idea that people are writing new songs that people like. Um, and there are classic songs that people still listen to. So we have, you know, that innate desire to write new music. And so I believe we should, I believe we have the freedom. I believe that the Psalms are a sufficient guide to writing music. And, um, so while 150 songs is well, way more than enough for any one church to be able to do, uh, you also have to take into account that we enjoy writing new music and that we want to, we have that desire to, and, and God grants people the ability to, and, um, yeah, so that's what I meant. But keep it manageable. Keep is it manageable. What I, what I hear you seeing. Yeah. Yes. Especially if you have like a band and all that, I'm sure mm-hmm. that would be pretty hairy. Um, if you have, you know, great aunt Edna, you know, rocking the keyboard, uh, like, uh, I've been, grew up in a church like that. You know, we had a church organist, um, mm-hmm. and that person, you know, pretty much he just opened the hymn book and start playing because <laughs> at that point, uh, you know, there, but even there, there's a lot of tunes that are very, uh, much the same, um, between different hymns, uh, sometimes or, uh, similar. They follow a pattern, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, and so, so cool. Yeah, so okay. Just keeping some math in mind. If your church math. is six okay. songs a week, and, that's a lot. Which is our, my church tends to do six songs a week during this COVID time where we don't have an offertory. We've only been doing five, but um, you know, we'll do six songs a week typically. And uh, so, if you don't repeat any song during a month. So you, you do every song once a month, and that is uh, 24 songs. So if your church does 24 songs, it's doing six songs a week, only doing any one song once a month. And so if you do any repeats during the month, that takes it down. If you do maybe a song every other month, then that you, know, you can lift it up. So if you do every song or each song every other month, then that gives you 48 songs. And so, you know, multiply that by three. So every six months, then you can get close to 150 songs. But that's if you're only ever doing any one song every six months. <laughs> that's that was, a lot of math, man. That was math. I was all done in my head. I probably got it wrong, but we can move on. Let us know in the comments section on Slack. Anyway. And also, by the way, uh, I just want to let everyone know that my oldest daughter is attending her first concert right, right now. Um, she's at she's at a concert with a friend. Um, her friend's name is Alexis Seahorn. Happens to be the daughter of one Chris Seahorn, and uh, I've heard of him. Yeah, he's a fan. He is. He's also at the concert. They're they're singing for King and Country. It is a uh, drive-in concert, so they have to like 
they could fit as many people in their car as they wanted. Like they had to, they bought a ticket for the car and could fit. Oh, nice. As many people into the car as they could. So hey, they had an extra looks seat. Looks like a clown car in there. Like a clown car. I had to ask them if they wanted to borrow my van. <laughs> Do you have like the big uh, E E? I've got the Econoline. E85 or yeah, Econoline. Yeah, that thing. The, yeah, the, yeah. The E350. Yeah, that's what I have. Yes, that's what I was trying to come up with in my head. That's what I got. Excellent. Very cool. That's good for going to concerts like that, I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, I've never been to a concert like that. Uh, my first concert was the Newsboys at Bruno Duches. Really? I think we've talked about this before. Right. Yeah, I went with my my science teacher uh, who kind of like chaperoned us sort of, but he, you know, he was a nice guy. Uh, and my brother went and one of his friends uh, went as well. Um, and we just had a great time. Yeah, I don't remember what the very first concert I went to was because we had like, there's a church down the street that got like a bunch of small time Christian bands like all mm-hmm. the time. And so we would just go to there. Uh, I think, oh, cool. I think I saw Seven Day Jesus there. That was one of the earlier ones. Uh, yeah, I vaguely remember them. Okay. Yeah, and uh, definitely saw Skillet like on their first couple albums, and they weren't very good back when then. When they, yeah, I was gonna say when they're bad. When they were really, <laughs> really bad, and so I, was, I, yeah, but yeah, the first concert I traveled to go see was uh, was Switchfoot. Well, I knowing you, yeah. I'm not surprised. All right, so. Uh, so. So at One of the some ways point, that you can interact with us is also in person. Mm-hmm. Am I not mistaken by that? Yeah. You can show up at my door. Fantastic. It's fine. I'll let you in probably. So if you go to like one of our churches, for instance, um, yes. you might see us and you might have a discussion about things like singability or yeah. understandability of different songs. Yeah, that is absolutely uh, 100% true. Sometimes people stop me at my church and say, hey, you're that famous guy from that podcast, right? <laughs> um, this person that I am referring to is, of course, Karen Greenfield. Woo-hoo! And uh, yeah, she had a very good question the, uh, last week at church. She said, so when are you going to talk about singability? And so I, th- I thought to myself, that's a very good question. I should talk about singability. Uh, I kind of alluded to it uh, previously in uh, the way that I had my 10 questions worded. Uh, I, in, in the composition uh, area, talking about music, I have, is the music crafted, creative, clever, and clear? And by clear, one of the things that falls into that would be the idea of singability. Uh, but I think it would be good to actually include the word singability into that question, which is why I edited it and it's also what kind of brought us to uh, put it on our website Uh, or at least reminded us that we needed to put it there. Yeah, It's nice to have a place to go to refer back to it. And eventually I think we're going to get up um, the, the other set of things that we have like the Um, six, uh, the the type, the the song types. Yeah. Yeah. Type zero through six or whatever, or five. Zero through five, right? Yeah. Which is total six. Okay. And then, uh, so we'll anyway. talk about that. And, and we might put like some blog post type things that are more foundational that we can refer back to and things like that as well. well that's a fun idea. Okay. Cool. Um, so let's talk about singability and understandability. All right. So, uh, so part of the compositional excellence, uh, the part of the questions include the lines of the songs. 
uh, crafted, creative, clever, and clear. So I wanted to take a moment and expand on the word clear. For the lyrics in particular, uh, clarity often looks like the ability to understand the language. So some of my original thoughts when I chose that word were about like the illogical flow of overly mystical language. Uh, if you remember our discussion on the song Hard Love, I think that was in mm-hmm. episode four, I believe. Was, was it really that. that long ago? Yeah, that was our, <laughs> that was our first like uh, song versus song. Uh, episode which we need to do another one of those soon but yeah all right um yeah so the hard love had some really just vague words that didn't really go together and my belief behind that was that they were intentionally trying to speak so much of the emotions that they were trying to like just throw out the uh, thinking about it all together you can kind of get lost in the music type type deal. And so when I was thinking about clear and clarity and, and the language, it was m- one of the things I was thinking about was that, uh, you know, using clear thoughts so that you can, uh, so that you can actually transmit truth. But there is another important point of clarity that, uh, I, I do think that is important. And that is, um, the accessibility of the vocabulary. And, uh, so using, using overly big words, uh, but also using antiquated words. So some examples uh, from some hymns, like here I raise mine Ebenezer. uh, Yeah, I've gotten questions about that before. (laughs) Or uh, a bulwark never failing. Um, Those are things that we kind of, we we hear it, we realize, okay, that's an old word. It means something. I can kind of get the context of it, so I'll just move on. But it's good for us to have like a full understanding of the words that we're saying. Um, another song is, um, uh, from, uh, yeah, from the, the song, uh, the church is one foundation. There's a, a line that says mm-hmm. elect from every nation. And that word elect is understood differently in different congregations. And so just kind of being clear oh, on what you mm. mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the first example, the uh, here I raise mine Ebenezer, there's actually a passage in 1 Samuel 7. Uh, the lead up is that Samuel um, was sent out with the Lord's favor to defeat the Philistines. Uh, so Eli, uh, he was a priest. His two sons went out at one point yeah. uh, with, against the Lord's um, favor. They took the ark. They got well, the ark. They got the yeah, ark they taken. W- like they were defeated. Mm-hmm. They were killed in battle. The ark was taken. Uh, Eli heard about it. Fell backward. Hit his head and died. You know all sorts of terrible things. So there's a Ichabod was born. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so um, <laughs> right. And so we have this other narrative in First Samuel seven that is an it is an opposite thing that's going on. Samuel has the Lord's favor. He doesn't even have the ark, but he has the Lord's favor. He goes out, he defeats the Philistines. And then there's a, a, um, in verse 12, it says, then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. And so it's not like a crazy obscure part of scripture, but it's not as well known as it should be. Um, it's in an old Testament narrative passage. And so you don't get a lot of sermons on old Testament narrative passages. 
and uh, especially ones that are more like of the war heavy. It's interesting that you note that my church right now is actually going through the life of David. Actually, we've taken a pause uh, with these COVID times real quick. Yeah. Um, but um, we are we are uh, definitely going to be getting back there, and that was uh, that was one of them. Yeah. Uh, that we we studied, and it's been really great. I fantastic stuff. Yeah. I. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on this particular verse. I mean, I know the story. Uh, I just told you the story, but, um, it's a good one. It is a good one. And so it's, it's one that it sh- more people should know, but it's, it's obscure enough to where more people, far more people have heard the song come that found of every blessing than mm-hmm. have heard a sermon on first Samuel seven. First Samuel 17, on the other hand, um, I'll let you look that one up at home <laughs> um is that about you're not david is that it's the one where goliath dies from COVID 19 oh that's right and if you don't know what we're talking about yes it's our other favorite site the babylon b yes yeah that was a good one i love the picture the pictures of goliath is on his back he's got blood coming from his head and david has a sword raised over him and it says bible experts have uh have uncovered that Goliath died from COVID-19. So anyway, moving on. The second example, uh, the one uh, from A Mighty Fortress is Our God, is a case of evolving language and uh, the phasing out of once common words. So during medieval times, a bulwark was a very common defense structure to place around your city to protect from military invaders. These protective walls would slow the invaders, buying time for the city to set up their active defenses. Eventually, though, these walls would fail, and, uh, and people would be left to defend themselves. So when Martin Luther, when he read Psalm 46, he likened, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, that's Psalm 46, verse 1, with a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark, never failing. And so his original audience would have heard that word and known exactly what he meant. Um, also to note, uh, the original audience of Come Thou Found of Every Blessing may still have never heard a sermon on on uh, 1 Samuel 7. So they may still need <laughs> needed to go and look that one up. But Martin Luther's original audience would have known exactly what he meant. Mm-hmm. And so that's a word. You know, I had to look that one up once. I, I remember leading that song at a youth event. And someone was like, do you even know what a bulwark is? <laughs> and I was thinking, I mean, I I can kind of guess, but no, I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm going to sing the song anyway. It's like a fortressy thing. Yeah, it's a mighty fortress is a guard of bulwark, never failing. I mean, you, you get that just from listening to the words. It makes sense, but yeah, that's what a bulwark is. So, um, so it is good to be able to, uh, to be able to let your congregation know what is going on and uh with come thou found of every blessing it's very easy to just read that passage from psalm uh, from first uh, samuel 7 before you uh before you sing the song and you can do that as an introduction you can also read parts of uh, psalm 46 before singing mighty fortresses are god and that's helpful as well but it's kind of it's not as easy to give a vocabulary lesson 
right before singing a song like in a church setting but like a small group setting is a good way to do it and I'd, I'd say more people probably know what a bulwark is and what an Ebenezer is but the uh, probably probably the third example that we were talking about um, it's a very common word found in New Testament epistles it's also a very common idea that's found in even more New Testament epistles um, it's right up there with predestined um and chosen before the foundation of the world, you know, certain things like that. But there is disagreement in the church at large as to what it means. You and I are in agreement, but we've both been at churches. I would believe so. We've both been at churches <laughs> that do not agree with what we believe that means now. And uh, so many churches will shy away from the word uh, as if it was a curse word. I mean, I, I've told the story... I don't remember if I've told you the story, but I've told it to many people that the first time I heard the word Calvinist, mm-hmm. um, it, it reminded me of this time when I was in elementary school and I was doing the name game, um, you know, like Grant, Grant, Boban, Banana, Fana, Fofan, you know, that game. Okay. And yeah. we, with a friend, we were going through everyone in my class and we had a, there was a teacher's assistant named uh, uh, Miss Buck. And so I said, Miss Buck, Miss Buck, Miss Bobuck, Banana Fan of Foe. And I stopped. I didn't know why. <laughs> I didn't know what the next word was, but I had this feeling that it was bad and I should run away from it. And so yeah. the first time I heard the word Calvinist, I had the same feeling. I didn't know what it was, <laughs> but I knew that it was bad and I should run away from it. Um, so anyway, many churches shy away as if it's a curse word. Uh, even though the Apostle Paul wrote one of his more eloquent doxologies around his deep gratitude toward God for his election in Ephesians 1. And so Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, does not have the word elect in it, but um, the idea is right there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so Paul did not shy away from this concept. In fact, he he praised God over and over and over again uh, for his election. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are examples of modern songs that choose loftier words that don't lend themselves well to the average church member. There's a Getty song called Jesus is Lord that uses the word resplendent, um, which is a beautiful word. It has the same root word as splendor. Um, But... I've never heard anyone ever use the word resplendent in conversation. And, uh, and I, most people that have heard the song probably haven't. I don't know if in Ireland it's used more or not. I don't know. But <laughs> Well, it's also, uh, I mean, Jesus is Lord is also sung by Kanye West, too. So it's, it's, you, know, you got to clarify. It's a little different song. Uh, oh, anyway. Okay. However... Typical CCM is hypervigilant in making song language accessible. Um, not necessarily, 
not necessarily like the the stream of consciousness aspect of it, but the vocabulary is is very accessible in CCM songs. And as a result, um, issues in vocabulary understandability, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost an exclusive problem to like older hymns. So as language evolves, as things change, as really biblical literacy declines, um, you know, we have songs that we don't understand what they mean in, unless we look it up. Um, uh, so that would lead to being a little bit less understandable is kind of what we're trying to say there. Right. Yeah. So older hymns can be less understandable. I think people. Yeah, pick but even up, newer ones, it sounds like. I mean, they can, but I mean, the Gettys are basically existed a hundred years ago based on how they write their music, um, <laughs> which is great because the songs are good. But um, they are. Uh, kind of what I was, what I was thinking was, um, modern songs tend to be more have more understandable vocabulary. However, the other issue of singability, it kind of flip flops. So in like, there are certainly modern songs that have more resplendent language. Um, Mm -hmm. But have you ever heard the Getty song? Jesus is Lord. You know, I am searching uh, Spotify as we speak trying, because I have, I, I am not familiar with this song. It's a, they have an album called the apostles creed which um, is not an actual okay. Getty album, but it's, it's a bunch of songs that Getty, uh, that Keith Getty and Stuart Tannen wrote together. And they got, um, it's a compilation album. They got a lot of different artists to sing the songs. And uh, it's funny. One of the artists that they got to sing one of the songs was a, a Kristen Lennox who uh, later married Keith Getty. So, ah, well, how about that? How about that? So it's an earlier one. Uh, there is this compilation album from 2007. Is this it? Um, oh, In Christ Alone is on there. In Christ Alone is on there. Jesus is Lord, sung by Sarah Sadler. Yeah, that one is on that, there. That's the one, huh? And so this okay. this album uh, came out... Um, 2007. 2007. And so Chris and Getty may have been married to Keith at that point in time, but I know that they were... That, they worked together um, before they were married. But anyway, uh, that's just a little known fact. Excellent. But this album came out before the their second album, uh, which had By Faith on it, which is one of my favorites of theirs. But Jesus is Lord, the cry that echoes through creation. It's, it's a beautiful song. It starts with creation. It goes on to the cross. It goes on to... Uh, eventually the second coming where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And, uh, it's just a beautiful song, but it's not one of their more popular ones. And, uh, a lot of songs, if like the song language, if the vocabulary doesn't cut it, the song dies away. So the songs that have the more accessible language are the ones that tend to, that tend to last. Well, that makes sense. I mean, uh, people, uh, part of the reason we're singing is to declare jointly our uh, our creed or our confession. Uh, so it makes sense that the songs that are understandable are the ones that typically get sung uh, more often and therefore survive uh, longer on uh, into uh, you know the hymn books and whatnot. Yeah. And so uh, 
So that's kind of the understandability portion. So let's get into the singability a little bit. Um, so this is where I want to, I really want to distinguish between type one and type two songs. So mm -hmm. we're going to talk more specifically toward type one song with this idea of singability. Uh, and I would say that an incredibly important attribute of a type one song should be that it can be singable by the average person because a type one song is meant to be sung congregationally. Therefore it should be, be able to be sung congregationally. That's, I mean, that seems like a no brainer, but as we discussed in some of our earliest episodes, there's like been this type two shift where, songs uh, are only successful if they can make it on the radio and in the church. And uh, so songs will not be, will not really be successful on the radio. If the melody is uh, tame, um, if the melody is, I'm not going to say boring, uh, but if it, <laughs> if it has a more, um, if the, the range is, is, is shrunk. If, you know, if, if it's accessible, if there's a super accessible melody that anyone can sing, then it's not going to be very popular on the radio because people want to hear songs that only that band can sing, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, you know, if someone has a specific timbre to their voice, they want to hear that being used to the max. And so that, so songs that bands sing for themselves should be tailored for themselves. And, uh, that's just kind of, also no brainer. So when a song is trying to be tailored toward that band, but also accessible to the entire congregation, you get a disconnect. So something's got to give. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, it's that we play a band version of a song in church and then nobody sings along. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And so that's, that is sad. So it's important uh, for type one songs to be singable for the average congregation member. And that means highs can't be too high. The lows can't be too low. It also mm -hmm. means that intervals can't be tricky and that rhythms can't be too hard to follow. Uh, another, so not a lot of not uh, a, sixths and sevenths. Right. Yeah. In there. Yeah. You or, don't want any tritones. Minor ones. Tritones. Those are the evil ones, right? Right. Yeah. Those are the evil ones. Um, okay. Maria. Um, or the Simpsons. Um, <laughs> those are the two classic examples. So, um, yeah, the, there's a, also I've heard examples of, um, you know, someone will do a, like a modern version of a hymn and they'll like pause before they, they say a word, like they'll put in a break right before like the last line. And if the leader isn't careful and he doesn't give the cue to the, uh, to the congregation to like hold off, People might come in on the one when the band comes in on the two and then they feel awkward Classic. because they just sang out and everyone heard them. And now they're just not going to sing anymore for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, that scared me even in, in choir, you know, yeah. like in, in our college choir, we'd sing stuff like that. Yeah, we it's did. We did um, nothing but the blood last Sunday. And, uh, and we did that on the last line of the, of the chorus we we had a we came in on the two instead of on the one so it was like oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow 
no other oh path. Mm. but we mm-hmm. made sure to take a deep breath <gasps> from like like we're looking at the congregation we're taking a deep breath everyone knows i'm not singing right this second so you got to be careful with that <laughs> and we didn't yeah, have, we didn't sense. have any issues good but um yeah so it, there's different things if you do something too crazy it's going to throw people off and they're not going to they're not going to be able to do it um it's also important that uh you have enough mnemonic to keep the mind engaged, but mm-hmm. also they need to be able to anticipate what's coming next. So I talk about like, um, porosity and surprise surprise mm-hmm. is something that you want to do that, that like you're anticipating one thing, but you get something else. Yeah. And that's a really good marker for a good song, but you gotta have just the right amount of surprise in order to, um, in order to not like lose everyone. <laughs> I think the Gettys do a really good job in their melodies with surprise. They they have something they have some nice lilts in there that are like, "Ooh, that's really cool." And so you hear it a couple of times and you you can pick up on it. But the first time you hear it, it you don't get what you anticipate and it's kind of it's it's a cool thing and it keeps the mind engaged so you don't go oh, on cool. like an autopilot. Yeah. Um That makes sense. I can understand why you'd want that in a uh a song too. I mean, yeah. And uh, so something that I was talking with uh, Karen about mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, I talked a lot about beauty. Like the last few episodes have been about beauty. And in case you're new to the show, this is part three of a particular uh, particular set of episodes. So before we get to the main topic, you might want to go back and listen to episodes 16 and 17. But we'll get there. We we'll, promise. We will. We will. But um talking about we've talked a lot about beauty and i'm going to say for a type one song uh you have to have priority for of singability over beauty and so if you write something incredibly beautiful that is just very difficult to sing then you've done yourself a disservice um you can make very strategic sacrifices to beauty to where you still maintain a lot of beauty it may not be the most beautiful you can find that balance where you still have something that's beautiful, but it needs to, you need to give priority to singability. Um, that makes sense. And I want to, to refer to first Corinthians 13 one. This isn't an exact application, but I think it fits. Uh, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so if the song is outwardly the most beautiful song in the world, but does not show enough love to to allow the least skilled singer to sing along, then it is um, it's no more use than simple noise. So, across the board, most of the songs that we have criticized on this show have scored very high in beauty. However, I believe that the church at large is either hesitant to sing, or they have completely given up trying because they have been conditioned to believe that they simply cannot sing along. Hmm. That's uh, sad. It is. Like I had a music minister and I've said this on the show before that would only play radio songs because he wanted to play songs that he knew that the church knew. Uh, the, a lot of the church was listening to the Christian radio. And so he wanted to make sure that he was playing songs that they knew. And he was really, uh, he just couldn't figure out why people weren't singing. He's like, they know the songs. Why aren't they singing? It's because the songs weren't singable. You know, they were radio songs. And, 
and it's hard to sing along radio songs. A skilled musician can sing a radio song very easily. I don't have any problem singing it because I'm a skilled musician. I mean, I've trained. I've I've put in the work to learn how to, and uh, and I should be trained if I'm going to be leading. But I have to remember that no one else is trained, and or at least not most of the people aren't as trained as I am. So last week, one of the things that we talked about was how kind of like the, or maybe it was two weeks ago where there's this sort of evolution of worship music. Mm -hmm. When we emerged from the worship wars, there are a lot of really simple songs and simple chord structures. Uh, And now that uh, bands are more advanced. In fact, you in fact joined started playing bass guitar because Mm -hmm. you wanted to play in the church's worship band. And so now that, you know, people are, are much more accomplished now. And in fact, you can find bands that are at churches that are probably a lot better than many other, uh, just, you know, bands on tour Yeah, uh, that now we kind of demand a song that's a little bit more complex, but it sounds like there's still something of a line there with singability and, um, clarity where you would say, well, yes, we are more complex now, but we don't want to be overly complex. Is there any kind of like help that you would give to another, uh, uh, song leader or, or worship music minister at at, at a church or something like that? Just, uh, some sort of guidance. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to call out a particular song that I, I think a lot of people know. A lot of churches do it. Um, just ignore the fact that it was written by a guy who goes to Bethel for a second, uh, because the the lyrics actually are pretty good. But it's a um, Lion and a Lamb. Um, okay, I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm judging you. You're judging me. Uh, I mean, the the lyrics are pretty good. In in fact, the the guy that wrote that song, Leland Mooring, he tends to he's probably the most theologically astute guy that goes to Bethel, but the song is not the easiest to sing. Like my mm-hmm. biggest disagreement with that song is that I don't think it's congregation friendly. Now a congregation can learn to sing it. And a lot of congregations do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not the most difficult song out there, but it's, it's one of those, it's like a borderline song. And so borderline as in, like borderline singability. It's like just okay. it's just past like what I would consider to be like the bar. Um in that uh you know if you have you you have like you want your sweet spot of mm-hmm. uh it's below the sweet spot is this is just boring. This is like Blessed Be Your Name. Blessed Be Your Name, mm-hmm. very, very overly simple song doesn't mean it's sure. bad doesn't mean it doesn't have a it doesn't have a place it's just it's below the standard of uh of i would say beauty and then you get okay. line in the lamb it's a very pleasant song but it's got some like really quick parts it's got some part it's got i think a little bit too much surprise for a type one song um there's even like every band that plays it does it a little bit differently because there are parts of it that are a little like, what am I supposed to do next type thing? And so it, it's a nice, 
it's a nice piece for I'd say listening to. It it makes for a for a good type two song as far as the music standpoint goes. But it's a little bit too tricky, I think, for the average congregant. And um and so what I would recommend for musical music ministers who are wanting to introduce a song like Lion and the Lamb is um you know, try to sing it without the guitar. Like try to sing through the song a cappella. And if you're having if you have any difficulty with it, mm-hmm. uh it's probably too difficult for everyone else. If it relies on like the rhythms of the guitar to to work, uh you probably shouldn't do it. Also, if you do introduce a song like that, um try to really gauge what your congregation is doing. If they are all like stopping singing, you know, maybe do it one more time. And if no one is picking it up after your third time of trying it, just do away with the song. Uh, I've had to do that before where there's a song I really liked. I thought it was, I thought it fully fit like our church and nobody really picked up on it. And so it's like, eh, we gave it the good old college try. So let's just move (laughs) on. Uh, and that's and that's fine. You you can do that. You mm-hmm. you can play a song that you don't think anyone will like, and everyone loves it. You never really know what your congregation is going to latch onto. Um, at my last church, there were a lot of songs that, like, the first time I played, I'm like, I just this isn't really tricky. Like, I'm I'm struggling with this, and then everyone loved it, and it became like one of like the top three favorite songs in the church that we sing wow. all the time because everyone loved it. They sang out on that song more than anything else. So you, you, you never know. I would say if, if you can tell that the song is way too tricky, just don't worry about it. Maybe do it for an offertory one time and just see what people do. But I would say just really just gauge your church. Um, you, you can feel free to introduce a tricky song, but if nobody's picking up on it after two or three times, then just move on. Yeah. Okay, cool. We like to be practical as well as thoughtful here at the Balm and Gilead podcast. And so thank you. Um, Hopefully that's helpful. It's my pleasure. (laughs) By the way, by the way, I'll tell you, the struggle is real. I gave someone their food and they say, take care. I always say, it's my pleasure. (laughs) It's it's every day, man. It's the struggle We're gonna have real. to work up another uh, bomb of Galahad pod or uh, episode, yeah. or not episode, but you know, um, story where we try and figure out all the 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 worst things that uh, worst questions that it's my pleasure is, is the answer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We'll have to work on that. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a good one. So we've talked a little bit about how uh, we can make songs a little bit more singable or choose singable songs and how important that is. Yeah. But, you know, another thing that we want to be careful of is not to go too overboard in trying to please our congregation in some way. Absolutely. And bend to their preferences, right? Absolutely. And uh, if you did listen to episode 17, I kind of left you with this little nugget where I said uh, churches shouldn't seek to please their congregation by bending to their preferences, but it is important to be mindful of the preference overlap 
as churches should seek to connect with their congregation. And just to remind you, by preference overlap, I'm talking about like you get one person, they have a preference. You know, they have like what music they enjoy the most, what they connect with the most. They also have, you know, the surrounding types of music that they still connect with pretty well. And then they have music that they don't connect with at all. So okay. I, I, I'm calling this their, their preference, like what they connect with the most or what they connect with pretty well is their preference. Um, you get two people together, you're going to have some preference overlap. You can find music that the two people really enjoy together. And uh, you get three people, you get preference overlap as well, but it's going to be less. The more people you get together, the more slim that preference overlap is. You get an entire body of believers together, that preference overlap is going to be pretty slim. It's basically can you consist of just one song and it's in Christ alone. Pretty much, yeah. In Christ alone. If you're alone in a PCA is, church, yeah, the, yeah, or most Baptist churches, because oh. because they do have the Christian Stanfield option. <sighs> Why'd you have to bring that up? <laughs> that was that was free. Anyway, um, it's like a bomb of Galahad. It is episode. It is anyway. So. If a, if the music minister is in tune with with their congregation, oh, and nice. that was a bad pun that I didn't intend. So if the if the music minister is uh, if if they're in touch with their congregation, then they can uh, they, they'll probably know what what they like. And you can either do this by talking to your congregation about what music they like in conversational way. Or you can do this by paying attention to which songs your congregation sings out on the most. Um, there's different ways you can do this, but um, you know the more that the music minister is aware of like where that con- where that um, preference overlap might be, then the easier it will be for the music minister to play music in that uh, in that style. And but as I mentioned the music minister shouldn't bend to the congregation's preference. He shouldn't like give the people what they want type deal. Uh, but he should be mindful of it because it can help with making some decisions. Like if you have a song and you can do it one of two or three different ways, it would probably be better to do it the way that's going to be received better. Um, so, uh, Brian, I, I like songs that talk a lot about God's love for me and not so much about <laughs> sin. Uh, so do you think we could maybe just do a little bit more of those types of songs? That is a very good question, and the answer is no. Um, but also what I'm talking about a lot is style. Uh, okay. Not necessarily content. Uh, mm-hmm. But that, that is a good, a good point that you raised. So if you remember uh, way back a month ago when we started this, series it, the series is on style and uh mm-hmm. and, and its significance and so i am referring specifically to the style of music now this can mean one of two different things a song that was written 500 years ago like a mighty fortress is our god mm-hmm. uh, lends itself to the pipe organ very well you know and um and if you ever looked up a chord chart to the hymnal version of a mighty fortress is our God, it will give you a headache because every word there's a new chord, uh, because it's <laughs> meant to be played on the piano and the pipe organ. It's not meant to be played on the guitar. However, um, you can find perfectly pleasant versions of a mighty fortress is our God with, uh, with a guitar arrangement. 
I enjoy playing a particular guitar arrangement. I actually played a Mighty Fortress is Our God on the acoustic guitar at my grandmother's funeral. Wow. Yeah. And it was uh yeah, it was an arrangement that I wrote for for that particular event because it was her favorite hymn. So, um style it, it you can you can force a song into a style. Force that's a terrible word. There's probably a better way for it, but but what I mean is and and I, I said the same word an episode or two ago talking about forcing the psalms into different cultures. It's such a bad word. I need to come up with a better word, but I can't think of one. So you can fit it forcibly without being violent. So use the word mm-hmm. force in there, but you know what I mean. I'm rambling. Yeah. So you can you can make a a hymn work in multiple different genres, and you can do it in a lot of ways effortlessly, so without force. But it's a uh, a lot of times what people mean by um, by style is like when is a song written? Is a song written for the piano? Is it an old hymn? Does it feel like an old hymn? The Gettys music all feels like old hymns, even though it's all pretty new. Um, but then you have like your modern song, which has the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus, down chorus, bridge, up chorus, bridge, chorus, infinity loop, until it finally has the tag. <laughs> and... Um, you know, that's that's a style in and of itself. And that's why a lot of people try to come up with bridges and choruses for old hymns because they're trying to fit it into a different type of style, which involves having a chorus that you can repeat over and over and over again. And uh, and so that's what I'm referring to when I'm talking about this, this idea of style. So finding the style that your congregation um, really responds to the most you want your congregation to sing out like that's that's the goal you want your band like the the function of the band is to get the congregation to sing out um but at the same time if you uh if you seek to please your congregation that is always going to lead to idolatry like if your goal is to i want to really just please the people i want to give them what they want like that is my goal it will lead to idolatry and uh, as a music minister, you will either idolize the congregation, you'll make their, uh, you will be worshiping them, basically, just seeking to please them. Um, you will idolize the music, and just all you're doing is paying attention to the song, and you're just in that moment, and you never pay attention to anything else. Or you're going to idolize yourself, and mm. when you hear the people singing out, you're going to more or less accept that glory on your own which if you ask Herod is not a good thing to do um, by Herod I mean the the one after the ascension not before the birth right the one who fell down dead and his body was eaten by worms in front of everybody yeah that one okay because he, accept, just, just because he accepted the worship so he did uh, so I, I think it's really important here to bring up you know, regulative principle of worship to here in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, uh, verse one, there it says the light of nature showeth that there is a God who hath lordship and sovereignty over all is good and doeth good unto all and is therefore to be feared, loved, 
praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and with all the soul and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself mm -hmm. and so limited to his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. Mm -hmm. So exactly what you're saying, bowing to the kind of the, the, the way that, that your congregation is wanting to, to go will lead to idolatry because it's not the way that God has said that he should be worshiped. Right. And, uh, in, in these Psalms, it says sing a new song. And so that is multiple, multiple, multiple times. And so that is, where I believe that God has, you know, called us and allowed us to write new music. Uh, but I can't create in my mind a new way to, uh, to worship him. I, I use the Psalms as my guide. I sing the same themes that the Psalms sing. And, uh, and I don't come up with new things like, uh, like I think of the need to breathe song testify, you know, that came up with some new things and, uh, you know, speaking from God's perspective and coming up with weird things like together we'll dance like kids on the moon. Like what in the world does that mean? You know, so coming up with, well, I think the plain reading should be sufficient here. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> People, people talk about the uh, Bible being difficult to understand. Try worship music. Try worship music. Absolutely. <laughs> or and, supposed right. worship music. And so also, if you, if you as the worship leader are turning to idolatry, you're going to also train your congregation to turn to idolatry. They're going to either idolize the music, they might idolize the band, or they might idolize themselves. You know, they might... You know, if they get to the point where it's like, hey, I got my concert and a TED talk, you know, they, how many times have you ever heard anyone say, I just didn't get anything out of the worship today? Mm -hmm. Why would they be getting anything out of the worship unless they were the object of the worship? They shouldn't be getting anything out of the worship. They should be worshiping. And so, as when the uh, worship leader trains the congregation, uh, toward idolatry because they themselves are promoting idolatry. That's when you get things like that. I didn't get anything out of this today as if it was for you. Um, not that you can't enjoy it because we do uh, enjoy God by glorifying in him. And, uh, and so that's important as well. So it's not supposed to be some boring thing where People see us going to church and then come and tackle us because they think we're statues. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it had been a couple episodes before, without talking about Babylon B at all. And so now we just got some ground that we got to make up. Well, we kind of started our own. Yeah, we did. And so I was hoping that we would start pulling from that material. From that material. We did that last, <laughs> last time we, we referred back to that, but, um, being mindful of your congregation's preferences is helpful in making some stylistic choices, 
But we have to remember that the purposes of these decisions should always be to help the church connect with and sing the song. Uh, We are commanded to sing uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So if we believe that the act of singing is an act of worship because of that command, then the music minister should make choices that ultimately glorify God to the highest by having texts that glorify him and uh, by allowing and encouraging more voices to glorify him. So when the text itself is glorifying to God and the tune lends itself toward more people singing, uh, the tune and the style lend itself to more people singing, then that will bring God the highest glory in that moment. Uh, But it's when we put uh, more importance on the preference over the glorification of God, uh, that's when we get into the predicament where we find ourselves today with lots and lots of beautiful music that ultimately says nothing. So I understand you've been reading a book about this, and I was wondering if you'd be able to share some some of the passages that you've found, I'm not going to say inspiring, but that, that you found fitting, I guess, yes. for this particular thing. So this particular book, uh, it's, it's an interesting story uh, about how I even came to find this book. My wife and I went into a, a used bookstore um, in Little Rock, Arkansas. We were we were there for like kind of a weekend getaway, and we went. Yeah. Have you ever gone to a bookstore and you're like, I just want to go to the Christian section and just just to kind of like get my just to gaze at what they have. <laughs> yeah, just to, because I feel like being disgusted at this particular. Oh, look at that! Row after row of Joel row Osteen after row of Joel Osteen, and there were three incredibly slim books right like next to each other as if they were placed right next to each other as this is the reformed section um (laughs) the reform section did they have any of my dad's uh uh, life guide bible studies no but they had uh, oh shucks they had secret thoughts of an unlikely convert hey that's a good one they had um a vody bacham book i forget what it's called but we bought it i didn't actually buy the uh the Rosaria book because I already owned it. But, and then they had this little gem um, called Why Johnny Can't Sing Hymns. It's by a guy named T. David Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, kind of the subtitle is how pop, how pop Culture Rewrote the Hymnal. And I knew nothing about this guy. I actually looked into it to see who, like, who uh, blurbed it and kind of about the author. And, um, I'm pretty sure he's Presbyterian. I don't know anything about him. I know he also wrote a book called like why Johnny can't preach or something like that. But, um, cause his middle name's not David. Cause oh, his middle name's not David. But, uh, anyway, this book is fantastic. He is on the, like, if you think me as being narrow minded and bigoted toward worship music, this guy is another level. Um, <laughs> I agree with almost all that he said, but he has some points. He he'll say some things with like this authority, not capital A authority, but lowercase a authority, and he'll like back it up with scripture, and it makes a lot of sense. It's just a very good argument, and then he'll say something else with that same authority and not back anything up. And it's like I just don't agree with you right there, specifically like. He talks about because the acoustic guitar uh, 
does not lend itself to four-part harmony. We sh it is evil. Well, uh, I, I see why you would like him. Sorry, this is a side <laughs> note. He went he went to Union, dude. Did he? Nice. And Roanoke College and also uh, WTS, Westminster Theological Seminary. Yeah. But I'm not sure which 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 one. But anyway, that a little bit of real-time follow-up. Yeah. So um, in the introduction to this book, he talks a lot about the idea of contemporary versus traditional. Um, and uh, let's see, one of the things he says that's interesting, he says, my students, for instance, occasionally refer to traditional hymns. Uh, when I ask them uh, to mention one, they often choose one that is, in fact, quite new, almost contemporary. It's a mixed musical service. For instance, uh, they once selected How Great Thou Art as the traditional hymn. Supposing, I guess, that uh, that the thou suggested the Elizabethan origin. But the hymn is quite new, <laughs> written in Sweden in 1885 and translated into English in 1953. So in English, it's only one year older than, the, than, uh, than T. David. So... It says, we live in a remarkable moment, uh, indeed, when a hymn that is merely a century old and that is only half century old in our language uh, is regarded as traditional, when the majority of the, of the Christian tradition has never even sang the hymn. Skip down a little bit. He says, I will suggest that traditional contemporary in the present discussion have nothing to do with dates, history, or chronology. The terms are employed... Um, idiomatically to refer to the Christian hymns that have uh, different musical properties. So he's talking about that. It's really about style. And, uh, and I had a pastor once who he would lump in Christ alone with, um, with uh, a mighty fortress is our God. And it's like, you know, that there's a 500 year span between when those songs are written. So it's, uh, it's hard to put them in the same category. <laughs> Well, I, I like just the fact that some of these students are like, oh, it says thou. That must be really, like, old, dude. Right. Um, he talks about how, most, like, a lot of people, when they think of old hymns, they think of, like, 19th century hymns, like, late 19th century or early 20th century hymns. Uh-huh. And, and so there's that, or there's, like, the praise chorus. And so when you think, and you know, old or new, you're thinking either... Uh, shine Jesus Shine, or uh, something that Bill Gaither wrote, or Fanny Crosby, <laughs> and it's like, no, there's a lot more. There's a lot more that we can pull from. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna refer to a passage that he said, and this is this is another thing. Uh, I found this one interesting because I think it kind of fit with something we said earlier, but. Um, He's, he makes an argument that a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, but Martin Luther, he was completely down with like trying to do things that were more contemporary with his time. It's like, no, Martin Luther just wanted stuff that was intelligible because the church only sang in Latin and the, mm -hmm. and the congregation didn't know Latin and they knew German. And so he wrote in the vernacular, not in the contemporary. And so we need to ma make sure that that argument is different. And he pulls out this passage. It says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Uh, what am I to do? I will pray with my, 
I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. It's in 1 Corinthians 14, 14 and 15. That passage is really important when you're talking about songs like Hard Love. You can't sing Hard Love with your mind because there, it doesn't appeal to the mind at all. So even with this idea of the contemporary, sometimes the themes in contemporary music are all about the spirit and not about the mind at all. And so that would be an argument against using those songs. But uh, I digress. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about is he gives us a list of criteria for uh, a hymnal that he read. And it's in the, in the hymnal that said that all of the songs uh, met these criteria. The criteria are theologically orthodox lyrics, theologically significant lyrics, uh, literarily apt and thoughtful lyrics, lyrics and music appropriate to a meeting between God and his visible people, well-written music with regard to melody, harmony, rhythm, and form, musical setting appropriate to the lyrical content. Do you know a word that, uh, that describes that last, the last one I just read? Um, would that be prosody? That would be prosody. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he said, uh, by these criteria... I'm just looking for a synecdoche, man. <laughs> by these criteria, only the most artistically gifted, uh, and then in parentheses, or arrogant, uh, of, <laughs> of generations could possibly imagine that it could, in a single generation, be expected to produce a body of hymns that surpassed all previous hymns and rendered them obsolete. If ever there is a description of our day and age, not just in hymns, but in, in everything philosophy. in general, <laughs> yeah, uh, that pretty much nails it. Yeah. So the question remains, why does contemporary deserve to be included as a criterion at all? Much hmm. less as a criterion more important than all of those listed. Uh, why... Uh, are there not signs outside of churches that read theologically significant worship or worship appropriate to a meeting between God and his assembled people or worship that is literarily apt and thoughtful? Why do the signs say contemporary worship as though that criterion were itself worthy of promoting? Hmm. Those are excellent uh, thought-provoking questions. Uh yeah, why, why, why do we, why are we promoting contemporary worship? Why that modifier yeah. on there? Why, why isn't it just, hey, worship is at this time and uh, contemporary left out of it? Yeah. And, uh, As if somehow it's been improved. Right. It's like, oh, we do contempt. You do, do you do contemporary worship or do you do blended? You know, like, why are we even promoting, <laughs> why are we promoting what our musical style is? Style right. is not as significant as the content of, of the lyrics. Absolutely. It is not nearly as significant as the content of the lyrics. And you can make the argument, uh, cause this is a little bit of a straw man argument. I mean, it's a good point, but the argument is, well, of course I'm not going to promote, uh, that it's theologically significant worship. It, like, obviously we're going to do theologically significant worship, right? Um, you know, so we don't need to promote that this music is, is appropriate to a meeting between God and his assembled people. We are his assembled people and we're meeting with God. So of course it's appropriate for that, right? Mm -hmm. But then you ask the question, is it? 
Is it? And uh, are they doing hard love this week? Uh, <laughs> are we singing about the recklessness of God? And uh, and about how the Spirit leads me to uh, to be better than Peter. You know, and yes, and one of the other dangers in that too, to my way of thinking anyway, is that by prefacing it with something like contemporary worship, say, or even traditional worship or blended mm-hmm. worship, is that it reinforces the incorrect assumption that worship is just the music. Yes. And not the whole of the worship service. That is true. And as well. so uh will the guy will the will the pastor talk like like this in the contemporary worship? And use lots of these and those in the yeah. traditional, you know what? What is the point of all that? Yeah. Um, the point is that these churches that 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 walk into this kind of things, I believe, are 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 trying to be all things to all people, when instead we have the Bible to go back to. We have the Bible as our guide and. We have God's word to lead us in what, how we ought to worship. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I mentioned before, when you do a service and you, and you say that it's traditional or you say that it's contemporary, what you're doing is you are bending to the preference and you are even mm-hmm. publishing that you're bending to the preference. There's a church mm-hmm. down the street from where I am now. And I'm sure I've told you about this before. It, first of all, it's PCA. But it's uh it's got the eight AM traditional service. It's got the um like the nine thirty um the blended service and the eleven o'clock contemporary service and it has like one of those marquees that has like video on it and so it kinda shows the first two the, the first two the lights are on and you can kinda see I think there might be a choir on the first one and there's like a band on the second one, but on the third one like all the lights are down and there's like stage lights and it's, it's yeah, right. It's, and so it's. I always think in at 11, we have global. <laughs> um, but what does that do? Like just practically speaking, what is the 8am service going to look like? What is the average congregant going to look like? I'm guessing they'll be older. They'll be older. Um, but you know, I'm bending to, to stereotypes here. Yeah. And I'm guessing that in the blended one is going to be, uh, people who's would rather probably be in the contemporary, but are a little past the clubbing age (laughs) and have kids who wake up early, but they really don't want to go to the. I want to go uh, to, the boring, am, to the boring one. You know, the, to the boring one, and so they go to the adult contemporary, you know, coffee coffee shop style one. Yeah, and uh, yeah, then you have they're, they're not cool uh, enough to go to the eleven o'clock one. They're not cool enough, yeah, to go to the eleven the, the eleven o'clock p.m. one. No, I, no, I mean, no, you just no. have to it's, wonder. It's maybe it maybe it is. It's like we're gonna be. worship all night we're long. Gonna... I could sing of your love forever. <laughs> the club. Literally. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
We have all the hot new bridges that are going to walk <laughs> your new, socks. Hot new bridges. Yeah, that's fun. Anyway, but yeah, it's it's going to segregate by age. Is, yep. is, and uh, and so what you end up having is you have your church completely segregated by age. Everyone gets what they want and they're just worshiping the experience. And they're not mm. I, I don't believe you Idolatry. Can, yeah, I don't believe that a church can be healthy and do that. Uh, if your church does that and you believe that it's healthy, I would say just really seriously like analyze it. When was the last time that you saw four generations worshiping on the same pew? Mm. And uh, and how beautiful is it to see four generations worshiping on the same pew? I, I remember very specifically growing up that there was a family where um, there was a lady sitting with her daughter, sitting with her daughter, sitting with her daughter. And it was like mm. week, week in, week out. And mm. I just, I remember as a, as a youth thinking that was beautiful mm-hmm. because it is, there is very little that is more beautiful than that. Um, in our church, uh, one of our elders, uh, one of our uh, ruling elders, his oldest daughter, he has eight kids. His oldest daughter's my age and, um, his youngest daughter is either in the youth group or just graduated. I think she might be still in the youth group for another year. And so we have, um, so we have the, the elder and his wife, uh, some of their children that are still there, his oldest daughter with her husband and their four kids, and they all sit together. And it's beautiful seeing three generations worshiping together. Well, that is one of the reasons that we would say um, worshiping the the culture, worshiping the congregation is the wrong focus. Um, that it, it's, it's idolatry. It promotes idolatry. It, pro- it splits different people uh, of different uh, ages and uh, backgrounds up into their own little places so that they, they do not interact. And you, you lose a lot when, when you go to that kind of a model, but most importantly, it, it doesn't, it's not seeking to honor God. It's taking the, the focus off of that and putting it at least in some point, uh, part on the, the, the preferences and the, the desires of the congregation instead of God. Yeah, and so um, that, that's exactly right. You know, we we have there's a systemic problem in our church, and that systemic problem is idolatry, and a lot of it is idolatry of the worship. And um, you know, that's one of the reasons that I I dislike you know Hillsong Elevation Bethel. Uh, one, they're not really teaching the true gospel. But, uh, yeah, Stephen Furtick made some waves this past couple weeks. That's right. Oh, man, that happened since our last episode, too. Yeah, it did. And I completely forgot about it until right now, where he tweeted, um, like, you're already enough. Yes, that's right. And Which is not true. No, <laughs> no. Uh, you are not enough. Uh, that's That's the point. Yeah. Um, that's why we need Christ. There's no one righteous, not even one. That's true. That's a psalm, even. 
so you know it's good. Well, <laughs> um, I was. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, he he made some waves with that, um, and uh, that's probably been like one of the most succinct, like heretical statements he's ever made, because he tends he tends to to like push the border, but without actually ever crossing it. And that one was a. He's usually more careful with his words. It's like a oops Daisy just across the line, almost like the uh, the classic Andy Stanley uh, yeah. slippery slope. Uh, slippery slope one, yeah. Babylon B. Well, we've already linked to that. Don't make me go find that again. I won't, but you can link the, the lifeguard one just for fun. Oh, my God. The lifeguard one? Yeah, where Stephen Furtick tells a drowning man that you're, he's already enough. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Um, sorry, I just did a quick search for you are enough fur tick and it brings up you're enough um which must be the i don't know it's only 12 minutes and 49 seconds long so maybe he's one of those fast preaching preachers or something like that we get you out in 30 minutes or less although i thought that was more of a catholic thing he also um, he also squirts people in the face with water guns sometimes what yeah, yeah seriously yeah look that one up we can, we can That's not about Mon B? No, 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 no. He, he, uh, he had a little, like, a little squirt pistol that he was, like, squirting people in the front row. Uh, was that he was... baptizing them? No. No, that would be, uh, that's the Presbyterian method. Did you ever, did you see the picture of the, it was like a photo op thing, it wasn't real, but it was like a Catholic priest holding a water pistol to, like, baptize a baby for yes, social distancing? Yes, that was, that was quite funny. Um, <laughs> that yeah, it was. It I, wasn't I very that. much appreciated. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, the funny thing is that this "You're Enough," Pastor Stephen Furtick. We're talking about this like this is news, but this was posted April 16, twenty nineteen. Okay. And he has another one right under that called "Never Not Enough," Waymaker, Pastor Stephen Furtick. Um. Uh. And that is, looks like it's a full sermon, 41 minutes and 21 seconds, but it was posted December 4, 2017. Yeah. I think it was just his, he had a tweet. Yeah. Yeah, it was, but this is something that apparently he's been saying for quite a while. Yeah. There's also a medium article that he wrote in 2017. Yeah. So anyway, it didn't, you know, I've my my bubble's not like completely shattered. Oh, and then he had one that said where he said, "It's enough, he's enough, you're enough," which makes no sense. But it's thirty six seconds long. Yeah. So anyway. here's here's the, the the truth of it all. This is I think probably like the like little grain of truth that he's trying to build this entire thing out of. Mm. I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. but God chose me anyway. I could never be enough, but God out of his infinite wisdom chose me despite the fact that I'm not enough. So I did not have to clean myself up first. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was chosen and because I was chosen, I was cleaned and I am being cleaned. And so it's not that I'm enough, but it's, but it's, that's not the point. The point is mm-hmm. God is enough and God is mm-hmm. in, his, in his infinite wisdom 
chose me anyway. And that puts me in a position of incredible humility. Like, all I can do is, is bow at his feet because I didn't deserve it. It's amazing grace. And I totally use the word amazing to describe grace without thinking of the song. And I've gotten on to people in the past for doing the same thing. But Well, now it's my turn, now buddy. Now it's your turn. And so <laughs> uh, if I uh, look at it at the perspective of I am enough. Of course I'm enough. Of course God chose me because I'm enough. That puts me in the glory seat. And that's why. Well, it's it's bad because it's wrong. But that's why it's wrong is because... I'm not enough, but God chose me anyway. But that is not even what we're talking about in this episode. We've we, gotten fairly far afield. Got, of... <laughs> very far, fairly far afield, but we got done with what we were supposed to talk about. So um, why Johnny can't sing hymns, I highly recommend this book. Um, and we'll put a link to it in the description here. It. So uh, it's already there, virtually speaking. Yes. And... Um, it's very short. He does talk about um, his hatred of the acoustic guitar, which I, I don't support that particular argument. But I think it's good to read stuff that's not like fully a uh, a uh, echo chamber. But okay. ultimately, everything that we're talking about in this idea of style is that we need to pursue beauty, but we need to pursue it... Um, not at the cost of singability. We need to uh, we need to use our style to speak to our congregations, but not to bend to their will. And this is this takes time and dedication to figure out. It's not something that's there's not an easy solution to it. A lot of it is you just need to be worshiping yourself, not worshiping yourself, but worshiping comma yourself. There's a lot that I've said that's just been kind of weird. You know what I meant. The worship leader, the worship leader needs to be the lead worshiper. And when the worship leader is the lead worshiper, then you're not going to be overthinking these things of, am I catering to my congregation? You're going to be able to just worship and people will follow you. Um, that idea of the lead worshiper, I believe, was a Bob Coughlin-ism. Uh, I can... We can do some follow-up on that if I was wrong. But I'm going to attribute that to Bob Coughlin for now. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. Um, so, uh, all that said, I will conclude by saying, Beautiful Savior, Lord of all nations, Son of God and Son of Man, glory and honor, praise, adoration, now and forevermore be thine. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. To never feel discouraged, Jesus is your friend. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Balming Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at thereis at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balming Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback. So rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast. And uh, as the music minister, you will either idolatry, idolat, um, <laughs> as a music minister, you will either um, idolize. That is not the word that appeared in my notes from my uh, <laughs> idolatries. Idolatries. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, autocorrect, I try to say idolize and said idealize. And then I would try to read idealize <laughs> and idolize Oops. and came with idolatries. <laughs> so no.